It's the Chronicles of Aguna, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Only you're listening to our Euro 2020 daily show. We're going to be bringing you daily shows throughout the duration of the competition where we're going to be discussing the latest games, looking ahead to some of the games, the biggest talking points, the biggest stories, etc., etc., from the ongoing European Championships. And we've got plenty to discuss today. Um, First of all, I want to say a big hello to everybody joining us live uh, and a big hello to those of you who, of course, are watching this back later on or listening to it via the audio platforms. Before we get into talk about any actual football, though, I think um, I just want to, you know, touch on the, the Christian Eriksen incident. And I want to, first of all, uh, send my best wishes uh, to Christian Eriksen, to his family. Hope he makes a full recovery. Um, and a speedy one at that. You know, that was an incident like nothing else I've ever seen in football. I, I genuinely was, you know, <sighs> literally, I was literally sitting there watching it and and praying for Christian Eriksen. And, you know, yes, Christian Eriksen played for Spurs and, and all of that. But at a time like that, my God, um, you've got to put those things to one side because they are so insignificant, so insignificant and you know it was great to see at least Christian Eriksen's teammates rallying around him the way they did and you know we can talk about all the great goals that we're probably going to see over the duration of this tournament we can talk about all the great players great performances but the real heroes uh, are those medical staff who got on the pitch so quickly and dealt with the situation um, and thankfully there was a positive outcome at the end of it because I'm not going to lie um I thought it was gone. I thought it was gone. And um, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of seen incidents where players have, have collapsed on the pitch before. I think with this one, we saw a lot more than we should have. And that, I think, made it even more difficult. You know, it's, it's difficult anyway as a fan watching something like that. But I think the fact that the directors who were who were sorting out the pictures and uh, directing people and directing the camera staff and all of that were just, it was a bit voyeuristic. If you ask me, it was just too much, you know, and then to pan away to Christian Eriksen's partner as well, I thought was really distasteful. I, you know, I've seen a lot of people sort of jump on social media in the aftermath of that and, and kind of hammer BBC uh, who were of course broadcasting the game here in the UK. It is, however, not the BBC who produced those pictures. It's not the BBC who, uh, you know, choose what pictures come through. It is given to the BBC and all the other broadcasting partners by a central, uh, a central hub. The problem is, and where the BBC probably could have done better was they probably should have switched to the studio a lot earlier than they did. Um, 
you know so yeah look really distressing scenes and i think what it did was it put football into perspective you know a lot of us we lose our shit over football we moan about transfers um we moan about formations we moan about substitutions we moan about in-game management and what an incident like that does is it really puts things not just in football but in life into perspective you're talking about a healthy young man um who who's in peak physical condition and then something like that can happen so um really horrible um incident glad that christian erickson is okay and um you know I, I hope that that kind of shines a light on how important uh, in particular a defibrillator can be because, you know, it, it saved Christian Eriksen's life and, uh, you know, that and, and those who were around him, those who acted brilliantly and those who acted incisively in a really high pressured situation. Simon Kerr, of course, of AC Milan deserves a very special shout out and he's been getting lots of praise on social media and rightly so because his role uh, in ensuring that Christian Eriksen got the right medical attention at the right time was uh, was hugely impactful and hugely important. So my wishes go out to Christian Eriksen and to his family, of course, and we wish him all a very speedy recovery. Let's move on and talk about some of the actual football. And we're going to start with England's win over Croatia. It's coming home. No, I'm just kidding. It's a bloody game in. Stop that. Stop that. It's not, you know, nothing's coming home just yet. Um, I, I think in the lead up to this game, you know, Gareth Southgate, I, I actually had a lot of sympathy for him. I was sitting there and I was, excuse me, looking at kind of all the tweets that were going around and stuff, because of course the team essentially had been leaked. We knew uh, that, that uh, Kieran Trippier was going to play at left back. We knew uh, that Calvin Phillips was going to partner Declan Rice in midfield. And we knew that Sterling and Foden were going to be the wide players. And as I say, there was a, a real kind of meltdown on the social media platforms, um, you know, off the back of that. And, and I put a tweet out after the game where I said, you know, just get behind your team, support your team. And, and, and as a nation in international football, I think that's a lot easier to do than it is in club football. I think that, your country is your country. You support them regardless. You, you know, you can change the manager. Yes, but you can't make transfers. You know, how different can things really be? Um, and, and I just think, you know, these tournaments, they don't come around very often. And when they do, you've got to just back your team to the hill. And to see England fans essentially making their mind up about Gareth Southgate and the way this game was going to go prior to kickoff, I thought was was quite... You know, I, I thought it was it was disappointing. I thought it was a shame. And I thought there should have been a massive buzz going into the game. And I know there was for most people. But I feel like when Gareth Southgate has literally been sitting there um, talking about how much they need the, the supporters behind them, talking about the need for England to unite, and then his team selection gets leaked and all of a sudden he's public enemy number one and he's an idiot and he's this and he's that. You know, I didn't agree with the team selection, but I also wasn't going to go absolutely huge on um, on slagging him off because, listen, when you're going to judge whether a team selection or a tactical approach was correct, you'd be best off doing so when you have the outcome to refer back to. And the outcome 
um, you know, was a positive one for England in the end. So no harm done with regards to Gareth Southgate's team selection. And there will be people who disagree with it, but having picked up the three points and kicked off their Euro 2020 campaign with a, with a victory, then you have to say that Gareth Southgate was vindicated. Now we talk about some of those decisions that he made. The first one, Kieran Trippier at left back. I, I couldn't get my head around that one. I couldn't understand um, what the idea behind that was. It's not as though he had a kind of um, an iffy option or an iffy couple of options and felt that Kieran Trippier's experience and know-how would, would do him good. I think that's what it was in the end. I think experience, the fact that he knows him, he's worked with him more, that he's been tried and tested, that he was pretty good at the previous uh, World Cup. I think all of that played a part. But, you know, Ben Chilwell's just won a European Cup with Chelsea. Luke Shaw, I think, probably had his best season um, in the Premier League. So it was a surprise, and it was a surprise, obviously, to see Chilwell left out of the squad. Moving into the midfield, I kept saying that I'd have played Jude Bellingham alongside Declan Rice, and I, I still, you know, I look back on the game and how it went, and obviously Gareth Southgate got it right because Calvin Phillips had a really good game. What it is with Calvin Phillips for me is, you know, he, he just does that dirty work. You know, he, he just was there on hand time and time again to break up Croatian passages of play, to to put out fires, if you like, to stop Luka Modric getting comfortable on the ball, to stop Brozovic, to stop Kovacic travelling with it. That's what Calvin Phillips was in the team to do. And he had a really, really good game today. And, you know, there's a clip... Um, that uh, Joe from All Leeds TV has put up where I said a few months ago or a few weeks ago, it might have been pretty, yeah, probably more like weeks uh, that I don't think Calvin Phillips will go on to be a top, top player. And, I, you know, I still have doubts about Calvin Phillips, right? Let's not make out that we're talking about, uh, you know, prime Zinedine Zidane slash Claude Makaleli when we're talking about Calvin Phillips. He had a good game today. He really, really did. But I think uh, against better opposition, I think you need to have more about your game than just that ability to break up play. And yes, he picked out the pass for Raheem Sterling, um, you know, and Raheem Sterling finished the goal. Another player that people didn't want to see in the side. But, um, you know, I, I think what Calvin Phillips had over that that Croatian midfield today, I guess is the point I'm trying to get to, was uh, was physicality. He was physically better. He was quicker. He was stronger. And that obviously stood him in really, really good stead to really get in and amongst uh, that midfield trio and and prevent them from playing their game. So um, congratulations uh, to Calvin Phillips, because even though I've been a critic of the past, there's no getting away from the fact that I thought he had a really good game today. Um, you know, and I think this was a game perfectly suited for him. I'm not sure that all the games will be perfectly suited for him, but this one absolutely was. And credit to Gareth Southgate for picking him, of course. Moving into those forward areas or those areas in and around Harry Kane, there was a lot of debate, wasn't there, around who was going to play there. Was it going to be Grealish? Was it going to be Foden and Grealish? Would Sancho get the nod? Would Rashford play? And I think a lot of people had kind of written off Raheem Sterling, given that he's not been in great form for Manchester City of late. But, you know, we talked before about his uh, relationship with Harry Kane. We talked before about Gareth Southgate wanting to you go with the tried and tested. And I think that's exactly what he did with Raheem Sterling. And even though, 
you know, he had, he had a good game, Raheem Sterling. It wasn't the best game I've seen him play, but he had a good game. And the fact that he obviously scored what was the decisive goal, again, vindicates Gareth Southgate's selection. So it just goes to show you can sit there and pull apart a manager before a game starts, but you can't really judge whether it was right or wrong, um, you know, until you've got the outcome to refer back to. And was was England's win in spite of Gareth Southgate making some questionable decisions or was it because of Gareth Southgate's decisions? That's where you've got to try and uh, try and work out what's what and try and understand um, where England are at. But yeah, I thought it was a good performance from England. I thought they started the game like a house on fire. I thought they allowed Croatia to have the ball uh, a little bit too much towards the back end of the second half uh, of the first half. Sorry. Um, but I thought going in at half time that while England had actually, you know, hit the post through Phil Foden and forced another save out of the goalkeeper with um, with uh, with Calvin Phillips's shot, you know, other than that, England hadn't done very much. And so when it came to half time and the pundits and the TV guys and Gary Lineker were saying that was brilliant, I was kind of like, well, was it really? Because you know, you didn't really work anybody. You had a couple of moments, um, but then allowed Croatia into the game. And and then, you know, England again probably started the second half as the better side again and, and up the tempo again. And once they got the goal, I think that they, you know, naturally dropped off a little bit and Gareth Southgate made a few changes to try and maybe expose the spaces that Croatia were going to leave in behind. Congratulations to England on winning without even bringing Harry Kane on. I mean, that's some achievement. I mean, where the hell was he today? Um, he was obvious. He, he was awful. He was awful. Um, yeah, Harry Kane was a, was an absolute passenger. I have had, by the way, if you're wondering why I keep sniffling, hay fever has been at fever pitch today. It's the worst day I've had it. Um, I've even tried the nasal sprays and all sorts and then nothing seems to be working at the moment. Uh, so I do apologize if I've got the sniffles over the next few days uh, during the podcast. But yeah, great, great win for England. Always good to get off to a winning start. Incidentally, the first time they've ever won their opener at European Championships. Gareth Southgate, the man to do it. Uh, still work to be done in, uh, in Group D for England, of course. But um, you have to say... They did a they did a really good job of uh, of uh, nullifying a Croatian side that has a lot of talent and it isn't quite as formidable um, or as competitive as the side that went to the World Cup final back in two thousand and eighteen. But it's a good Croatian side nonetheless. So congratulations to England, congratulations to Gareth Southgate. Got his team selection right in the end. It proved that was the case. And uh, England move on now and they've got a big game to come, of course, on Thursday, I think it is, against Scotland. Uh, obviously, you feel like another win for England uh, would take them through and potentially even win them the group, depending on what happens in the other games as well, of course. Let's go over to the live chat box. Um, lots of you giving uh, Calvin Phillips praise. Omar says Calvin Phillips was the man of the match, in my opinion. He was sensational. Um Josh says, did a great job. I'll say he improved from the qualifiers. Yep. Agree. Lewis says, Calvin Phillips, man of the match, easily. Don't know how Sterling got it. T-Talk says, Phillips was decent and one of the best players for England, but I definitely think his performance is getting overblown. I do a little bit as well, T. Um, i got to be honest. I 
I think he was very functional today. And I think obviously because he played the pass that, that freed up Raheem Sterling, then it got blown from a good performance to the greatest performance ever seen ever in the world of football. And that's the kind of thing that drives me mad. And it's kind of like, you know, where I've kind of sort of talked about Calvin Phillips in the past as I said, yeah, he's a decent midfielder, but I think he's still got a long way to go before he's a top midfielder. You know, and then you get people coming out of the woodwork after Calvin Phillips has a good game going, yeah, I told you, I told you, I told you. That exact overhype, the overblowing of good performances into the best performances the world has ever seen, and then the ability to then flip that switch when things don't go your way and make it out to be a, a catastrophic disaster is exactly why England go into every single tournament with too much pressure. And it's why they ultimately fall down or one of the reasons why they ultimately fall down. So everybody just needs to take a chill pill for a minute. It was a, a one nil win. It wasn't the best one nil win. It wasn't a, you know, barnstorming victory. It was a functional one nil win over a, a decent Croatian side um, in which Calvin Phillips played well, but you know, you got to do it every week and you got to do it. Um, you know, you got to do it throughout the tournament. And I, I actually think that Gareth Southgate will look at some games and, and feel like Calvin Phillips isn't even the right fit because for what he was, for what England needed to do today was they needed to stop the Croatians building a rhythm in the midfield and someone like Calvin Phillips, who's going to make fouls and he made a lot of bloody fouls, uh, take people out, put out fires, almost the way Fernandinho's done for Manchester City over the years. Those tactical fouls is, um, or was key today, but in, there will be other games where other challenges will be opposed. And I think that's where Gareth Southgate in England have to be uh, adaptable. Let's move on uh, to quickly uh, gloss over the Austria-North Macedonia game. i got to admit, I only saw the highlights of this one. I didn't watch the full game, uh, but great goal from Liner for, for Austria to obviously put them in front. And then uh, North Macedonia pulled one back, an equaliser from Goran Pandev. Now, that is a guy who has waited absolutely yonks uh, to get his... Uh, get his country into a tournament like this shortly after their independence, of course. Um, and, and for Goran Pandev to score that goal, he must have been incredibly proud. Uh, so fair play to North Macedonia. It does feel like they're going to be uh, the basement boys uh, of Group C. And, um, you know, it's just an incredible achievement that they've even made it to the tournament. So fair play. Uh, but Austria looked pretty good, I thought, um, in certain moments. And Marco Arnautovic, a very familiar face to us Premier League fans, he popped up of course, and sealed the deal uh, just a minute from time. So Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. The final game of the day was the game between the Netherlands and the Ukraine. Now, this was hands down the best game of the tournament. The best game of the tournament. It was incredible. From the first minute, you could just see that the tempo was at a much higher level than any of the other games had been at. You know, I'm not a big fan, actually, of the format of this summer's Euros. I'm not a fan of so many big nations, essentially, of big footballing nations getting um, getting home advantage. I don't think it's fair on the other teams. For example, you know, the Netherlands are going to play a couple of games in Amsterdam. 
Ukraine have had to go to Amsterdam and then they have to go to Bucharest to play their next game. And it's just, you know, I don't really like this format. I think there should be a host nation or a host two nations, whatever. Um, and that should be that, you know, because that way you're giving one, maybe two teams tops the home advantage. Um, whereas this way, you know, there are seven, eight teams who are already probably better than everybody else. Yet they now have this additional advantage as well. So I don't really like the format, but what we are getting off the back of that is we're getting some incredible atmospheres. And there was an incredible atmosphere tonight in the Amsterdam arena. And of course, uh, when Jorginho Wijnaldum broke the deadlock, you could feel that sort of atmosphere coming through your TV screens, of course, because the Netherlands had failed to qualify for the last two major tournaments. And this was really uh, a moment that they'd been waiting for for a long, long time. And Jorginho Wijnaldum, I thought, actually did really, really well, not just captaining the side, but playing in a more advanced role than he tends to play for Liverpool. So Jorginho Wijnaldum uh, evidencing that uh, that side of his game as well. Uh, Val Weghorst got the second. Um, he is somebody who, um, you know, has has had a really, really good season in the Bundesliga, uh, performed incredibly well. And, um, you know, you could see the delight on his face when he scored that goal. And there was a VAR check on that one just to make sure that Dumfries hadn't committed a foul. Uh, but then the Ukraine, I keep saying the Ukraine, and I'm sorry, I have to apologise. Uh, Matt's uh, correcting me there in the chat. He says, by the way, mate, no worries, but it's just Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Adding the is a Soviet era thing. My apologies, Matt. It is a habit because I've always said that throughout my life and it's quite a hard one to shake. But Ukraine uh, pulled a couple of goals back, first of all, from a stunner from Andrzej Yarmolenko. What a strike that was. And Yarmolenko has been in the Premier League for a few seasons now. We've always seen glimpses of Yarmolenko's ability, what he can do. And, and I think, you know, for someone to pop up on the international stage for his country and pull out a goal like that was was absolutely sensational. I think it was his 41st goal uh, for his country. And what a finish it was. It was one of those ones where he sets it outside the post and just loops over uh, Stecklenburg and into the top corner. A stunning strike. And then just, of course, moments later, I think it was about four or five minutes later, Yeremchuk powered ahead of home from a good delivery from the left-hand side. And Ukraine were back on level terms. And you're, you know, you're taking your hat off to them because all right, they, they offered something at the beginning of the game, but it really looked like one-way traffic um, after that, with the Netherlands creating the majority of the opportunities, the Netherlands controlling possession. But Ukraine, I think, showed signs from the very beginning of this game that they had an attacking threat. And um, when they popped up with a couple of goals inside, what, four or five minutes, it looked as though they had snatched a point. And what a point it would have been for Andrei Shevchenko's side. But of course, uh, the Netherlands popped back up with a late winner, uh, thanks to Dumfries, who got his first hot goal for the Netherlands um, with just five minutes to go after actually missing a few really good opportunities on the night. Now, uh, a little bit of a debate that I've been having with uh, some of my mates actually over the last few days, and, and it was brought up on the TV broadcast tonight. And I, I did read it the other day, but it just reminds me. And, you know, there'll be a lot of people out there that don't know this, so I just wanted to share it. The reason we don't call Netherlands Holland now is because Holland only represents two of the 12 provinces in the Netherlands. So it's not a full reflection of the country. And it's why actually in the past, 
now that I'm thinking about it, I've said Holland to Dutch people and they've looked at me funny and I've kind of gone, what's your bloody problem, mate? They're Holland. Like, but obviously there is, um, that, that is a thing. And I never realized why it caused offense to some in the past. Uh, but now I do. Um, and it's great to know that because, you know, when we do these things, for example, when I say the Ukraine rather than Ukraine, or I say Holland rather than Netherlands, you know, it's not to offend. It's not done, um, you know, to, to be horrible, to be offensive. It's done purely out of habit. And and this is what what's so important about being educated. Unless you understand something, then you won't consciously make an effort to correct it. And until I knew that Holland was something that a lot of Dutch people didn't like, I never felt the need to correct it. But having learned that, then you go away and look at the reasons and you try and understand why and you try and get to grips with it. And you understand that actually um, there is a reason. And once you understand that reason, I think it's much easier to get your head around uh, making that change. But yeah, what a stunning game that was. As I said, um, Netherlands three, Ukraine two, by far and away the, uh, the games, uh, the game of the tournament. And I think that's going to take some topping over the next few days, but fingers crossed, we're going to get that topped and we're going to see some quality, quality football matches. Plenty to come, of course, over the next few days. So make sure you are tuned into the channel. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, guys, please hit the like button in the chat. It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. Um, that also helps. And if you'd like to become a member by supporting the channel, uh, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. We'll just circle back round. Uh, to England a little bit because, you know, obviously there's there's delight in the UK. England win their first game of the Euros. Everybody's pretty pleased about it. And I thought it was a good performance from England. But what I will say is this, and, and don't take this as me being negative. If England have real aspirations of winning this European Championship, if England feel that they can go all the way, if England feel that, you know, it's there for the taking, and it is, you know, there are, Outside of France, everybody else for me is beatable. And you look at it and you go, yeah, you know, this England squad are capable. But first of all, you know, you've got to take into consideration. I can't remember the last time England had this many good players at their disposal. And, um, you know, Gareth Southgate is very blessed in that sense. On the other hand, he's kind of cursed because it makes his decisions a lot harder. It means that when he goes into games, he's going to get people questioning his every move, his every decision, um, which obviously adds to the pressure of the whole thing. But, you know, you have to be grounded in, in a situation like this and you have to be understanding of where you're at. You have to be understanding of... um you know, how you how you can improve what needs to change going forward so that you can be at your best. And I have to say that I was bitterly disappointed with Croatia. What I saw from Croatia was a shadow of the side that went all the way to the World Cup final uh, last time out. And England have to be mindful of that when assessing how good they were. It's great to get the win. It's great to get three points. It's great to get off the market. It's great for confidence. Of course it is. But you also have to stay grounded and understand your level. And, and understanding your level will help you make the right tactical decisions, make the right 
decisions with regards to balance. We were talking a lot about the, um, you know, who was going to play either side of Kane. And I think he went for balance in picking Foden and Sterling. And, uh, you know, he had a balance of players that could drop inside and drop into holes, but also the the ability to run in behind and make those runs beyond Harry Kane when he drops into those deeper positions. So I think balance was key uh, for England today. Physicality uh, was was far superior to that of the Croatians. But they will come up against sides who are better physically. They will come up against sides who are better technically as well. So it's not to take away anything from England because it's always nervy to get your, you know, your campaign underway. You're playing it at Wembley, which increases the pressure on you to get it right. But England need to improve a hell of a lot still, in my opinion, if they're going to challenge for this tournament. If they're going to challenge for the big prize, they really, really do uh, have to up it another level. Because I thought there were moments in the game today where they kind of lost control a little bit and they allowed Croatia to get a foothold, but a better side would have punished them for that. As I say, I was really disappointed with the Croatians. I thought they looked slow. They looked physically not not at the not at England's level. And um, you know, they weren't even as technically sort of sound as they normally are. So yeah, um great win, great three points. Brilliant to see Raheem Sterling uh get the goal because he's someone who's gone into this tournament under a lot of pressure. You know, so many calls for him to be left out of the side. So many calls for Calvin Phillips to be left out of the side, including from me. Kieran Trippier uh, shouldn't have been in the side, in the opinion of so many. You know, people wanted to see Reese James play at right back. Jaden Sancho and Ben Chilwell were not even in the squad. So I can understand why fans were surprised at some of the decisions going into the game. But as I always say, and what I try and do with Arsenal as well is, and you'll probably notice this on Twitter for those of you that follow me, when everybody else is literally... Sh- losing their shit over Mikel Arteta's team selection, I'm always like, well, let's see how it pans out first. Because these guys, when they make these decisions, it's for a reason, right? It isn't just, what do the fans want? I'll do the fucking opposite. No, that's that's not what it is. Um, there's obviously a reason for these decisions. Gareth Southgate had his reasons. Um, we don't know exactly what those reasons are, but it proved to be the right call because England won the football match. And when you win football matches, Nobody can say shit, to be honest. Uh, So there we go. But yeah, as I say, look, England, great to get off to a winning start. Big game against the Scots. They'll be hungry. They'll be passionate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We all know that. But, um, you know, you you feel that England's superior quality should come through there. The difficulty is going to come for England in the knockout stages because I think we all believe that they would pretty comfortably walk through or stroll through this group. The knockout stages pose a different challenge. And England, in that sense, have got a couple more games to find their rhythm because I didn't think that they were at 100% today or anywhere near 100%. But I think a combination of them being more physical. And when I say physical, I don't mean right going around and kicking lumps out of people. I mean quicker, sharper, stronger. I mean all of those things, all of the physical elements of the game. But they were superior to Croatia in that department. It took their chance when it came along, um, and uh, and that's great. But they got to improve. They have to improve. There's no, there's no getting away from that. 
Right. Uh, I am going to leave it there because it is uh, late. Hope you're all uh, good. Hope you've all enjoyed this lovely Sunday in the sunshine right here in the UK or wherever else you are joining us from in the world. I'm going to be back tomorrow uh, with another edition of the Euro Daily uh, podcast, which will be live at night and it'll be available the following morning to those of you listening on the audio platforms. But we're also going to squeeze a bit of Arsenal content in there during the day at some point as well. So make sure you turn the notifications on. Just click on the little bell icon below. Uh, Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Hit the like button if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. I'll catch you all tomorrow with more content. Thanks for supporting Chronicles of Aguna. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.